Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Coming up this hour, it's Live Music Monday. Or Live to Tape Music Monday. We'll share with you two of the performances we recorded live in the Roundhouse at the Franklin County Fairgrounds at the Green River Festival this past weekend in Greenfield. Later in the show, we'll hear from the North Carolinian bluegrass duo with bi-coastal origins, Viv and Riley. We also have a review of the new Wes Anderson movie, Asteroid City, which we had to go see with our resident astronomer and Amherst Cinema board member, Mr. Universe, Dr. Salman Hamid. It's so good! But first... Turn the mic on. Thanks. <laughs> Hi, everybody. How's your Green River Festival going? Welcome to the Roundhouse inside the Franklin County Fairgrounds in Greenfield at the Green River Festival. Let's hear a round of applause from the audience that's with us in here. And we decided we would make it rain out there right now so that everybody would come into the Roundhouse for this incredible performance from I've some... I've been told that this is my fault for taking my poncho off. Every time Khalees puts her poncho on, it stops raining, and every time she takes it off, the rain begins again. But we are super thrilled to have one of the festival headliners doing what I'm calling Roundhouse Kicks in the Roundhouse with these pop-up performances, little martial arts slash music, I suppose. Uh, please welcome to the fabulous 413, the Wood Brothers. Thank you so much. So we are playing with one microphone, so we do ask that you listen extra hard. <laughs> As I sit on the edge of this never-made bed Oh, guitar in my lap, a new tune in my head There she stands in the doorway, just brushing her hair It's my beautiful muse in her underwear And if I was thinking, I'd be thinking, thank God Whoever you are, for the muse Guitar. Times like these, so sweet and so true. And thinking's the last thing that you want to do. As I sit on the end of this dirty old bar. Trying to work some things out and not get them too far. As I drown out the voices that are keeping me down, there's a muse all alone on the other side of town. And if I was thinking, I'd be thinking, thank God, whoever you are. Around whiskey in this dirty old bar. Times like these, so sad, but so true. And thinking's the last thing that you want to do. And thinking's the last thing that you want to do.
As I sit on the bed in this hospital room Shedding a tear for the bride and groom The tiniest voice starts to bellow and cry It's my finest work yet if today I should die if I was thinking, I'd be thinking that God for the muse and the miracle right here in my arms. Times like these, so sweet and so true. I'm thinking the last thing that you want to do. That is the Wood Brothers live from inside the Roundhouse, Franklin County Fairgrounds at the Green River Festival in Greenfield while the rain is drizzling outside. Lots of people coming for this fun pop-up performance with the Wood Brothers. Chris and Oliver Wood, who are actual brothers, and Jono Ricks, who's like a brother in musical spirit. Jono. Well put. Yeah. Jono, for those who are just listening to this on the radio and not here in the Roundhouse, tell us a little bit about what you were playing on that last song, including your modified guitar here. The last song I was playing a melodica, which is piano version of a harmonica, kind of. And I will be playing the oh dear. guitar. Mm. <laughs> Although it's its own well, it's word. Well, how I said it. It's its own word. You can say shiitake mushrooms. Can you not? S H U I. Oh, yeah. I love that. T A R. Just put the emphasis just, on the second. Oh, dear. Tar. Oh, dear. Tar. Yes. I said, it, way, I said it with intent. Not the way you just said it. I will have to bleep We're that out. Buddy. Yeah, come on in. Man. <laughs> Explain what <laughs> it is. Well, it used to be a mm, something guitar. <laughs> and now it's a percussion instrument and uh, I've built many versions of it and there's many years of research and development that have gone into it. I'm not kidding. I, <laughs> How much research and development went into it? Because like, you do have like a thing of Altoids strapped to the guitar. It's beautifully yeah. painted too. There's a beautiful owl on there. Why, thank you. Yeah. Did it myself. Oh, nice. Turned it into a percussion instrument with, yeah. you know, you played it with It has multiple and hands pickups. It actually took me more time than I built a lot of instruments. This is many years. It's like a decade in the making. So. <laughs> but you have like all the parts of the, the drum to get right on this, mm -hmm. this modified mm -hmm. instrument. So it's, how many pickups are on it? It's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> That's Jono from the Wood Brothers. Wood Brothers, I believe, eighth studio album. Is it Heart is a Hero? Uh, Don't know. Really. Don't know. Honestly. Who, who can keep track of that? Uh, not to keep just asking Jono questions. You can answer for him if you not want to. Not our department. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it true that you moved a piano near the drums for the recording of this album so that you could play drums and piano at the same yeah, time? So, so Jono, who's pretty much stealing the interview, he, he's, <laughs> he's, he plays keyboards and drums at the same time. Sometimes we roll a piano in the studio. We can roll a piano next to the drum kit, and he just reaches over, and it becomes part of his limb system. And then on the stage, he uses whatever's handy. You know, sometimes red red keyboards seem to be handy. So we'll all, we'll all get to witness this tonight, you playing drums and keyboard at the same time? Yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. You can see it tonight. Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> and now the actual Wood Brothers, who are actual brothers, Chris and Oliver, I've been a fan of Medeski, Martin, and Wood for many, many, many years. And 
This musical incarnation came about after that. You were both playing apart from each other on different coasts, right? And then came together when I believe Chris went to see Oliver perform and you were like, why aren't we doing this more? Is that true? Like how the, the Wood Brothers... Something like that. I yeah. mean, it was simultaneous. It was messy and organic. I was on the, I mean, different coasts. I guess I was on the North Coast. Oliver was on the South Coast. Okay. <laughs> Sky was like up in New York and Oliver was in Atlanta. And there came a part, I mean, basically 15 years into our, you know, individual music career separately, living in separate parts of the country, not really seeing or talking to each other much, just trying to make a living doing this weird job that we have. Uh, about 15 years into it, we had a moment where we, we, we actually had a double bill with our two bands around the same bill, and Oliver sat in, and it was so natural and kind of inspiring, and from that moment on, we knew, like, wow, we, we really should be doing something together. We had no idea what it was going to be, but yeah. it turned into this. Had you not played together growing up? Hardly. I mean, a little bit. We had a moment, you know, where we were both getting into music seriously. But, you know, Oliver's a little bit older than I am and left the house. And, you know, we were young and just... Uh, <laughs> he yeah. didn't want you in his band is what it comes down well, to. Chris is right. Like, we played as teenagers. We were just competent enough to play together and to start appreciating the joys of playing together. And then I left the house. And then when he left the house, he went a different direction. I went south, he went north. And we did spend 10 to 15 years just doing... Stuff Stuff with other people in other places and then when we came together we had shed all of our brotherly baggage came together to play music and just thought it was the most natural thing in the world yeah we owe you know we owe our slow rise to the middle to the <laughs> fact that that we didn't start the band till later in life you know like it didn't blow up in our faces as young inexperienced uh, <laughs> and immature musicians you know we, we got humbled big time by trying to do this job for 15 years first that's what the black crows and oasis should have done the new album you did to tape 16 track tape right is the tape to, like actual tape not digital uh, for those who don't do a lot of recording Tell us why you decided to do that and how it's been different than other recordings that you've done either with your other bands or, or with the Wood Brothers. No screens, no computer. We turned music back into a 100% auditory experience and got rid of all the visuals. It sounds silly and obvious, but it's actually really profound when you go through the process because the way you make decisions about music when you don't look at it on a screen is just much more instinctual, quicker, the same way that you dance to music, you know, instinctually, you just do it, you react. And we felt like making the record felt more like that. That felt good. Is there a moment on the new record that you look to when you say, this is something we would never have done if we had done this digitally and we saw the waveform on a the, screen? The mistakes. Uh -huh. uh, you left them all in. Yeah. You don't have a choice. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing about doing it on tape because like, I find when, with analog recording especially, like, there's something about it that lets you breathe and music needs a little bit of that space to really live. Yeah, it keeps you, it keeps you present. I yeah. think that's another thing Chris meant. It's like when you're not looking at something, but you just, you can close your eyes and listen and react. And that's, you have to be present just like you do right now. Hey. Yeah. Well, let's approach that right now, shall we? Do we want to hear another one from the Wood Brothers? <laughs> Live from the Roundhouse at the Green River Festival in Greenfield with the fabulous 413. Once again, the Wood Brothers. Step off of that train. I'm gonna sit down and wait. Cause the soul can't travel that fast. 
up off that train Gonna sit down and wait Cause it's okay So can't travel that fast Where the soul's gotta walk Like a pilgrim he stops To smell every flower on the path recorded live at the Green River Festival with bluegrass duo Viv and Riley. Up next, we'll talk with Amherst Cinema Executive Director Yasmin Chin Eisenhower about fun summer happenings at the cinema, and then Mr. Universe and our review of the new Wes Anderson movie, Asteroid City. And we promise no spoilers. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NAPM. Are we allowed to talk in the movie theater when you're on the board? Only I can talk. (laughs) Where are you? Asteroid City, Farm Route 6, Mile 75. Junior stargazers and space cadets. Each year we celebrate Asteroid Day, commemorating September 23rd, 3007 BC, when the arid plains meteorite made Earth impact. 
We are in the lobby of the Amherst Cinema. We got to go to a very special private screening of the new Wes Anderson movie, Asteroid City. But we are with the executive director of Amherst Cinema, Yasmin Chin Eisenhower, who did not watch the movie with us. So we're going to talk about the movie in a second and let you go so we don't spoil anything. Not that we're going to spoil anything major for you, the listener, either. But uh, It's I, not a spoiler to say that I loved it. I also loved it. I, I read this terrible review about know, it we, in the we Boston really Globe, worried. and I was terrified it was going to be bad. But I thought it was delightful. I quite liked it, and that's enough with no spoilers. Yeah, but we'll get into some of the implications that this alien-oriented movie has to do, and that's why we're talking with Hampshire College astronomer Dr. Salman Hamid, Mr. Universe, also a board member of the Amherst Cinema. But Yasmin, executive director, what's coming up this summer that's fun and exciting for Amherst Cinema? First of all, I don't usually admit that I don't see movies, so... <laughs> you, you will see You will so see this, this one. You just didn't happen to see right, this one yes, now. I will yes. be seeing it in about two hours, yeah, okay. and so if I meet <laughs> people on the street they are welcome to spoil it from so by the time of your publication um, we are really excited for this film asteroid city um, Wes Anderson is really he is an art house darling and fun fact Amherst cinema has screened I believe every single film of his there was one when we were transitioning from Pleasant Street to here that we missed one but he has been uh, Amherst Cinema darling. There have been such wonderful reviews and press about this film, including this ability to, to bring specialty art house film back mm. at a time when commercial films, there are so many wonderful blockbusters out there. So we're looking for, forward to people coming in and enjoying this film. And we have a number of films that have been picked up from film festival circuits such as Theater Camp. One of the things I think we pride ourselves on is really having a robust set of programs that appeal to many, many different demographics. I especially love the late night series and the music on screen. Series. Yeah, any fun late night series is coming? That's a, my wow. kind of jam so too. We've got this late night series that's running right now, uh, Hotter Than Hell. I think we called it a summer of satanic cinema. So if you are a <laughs> fan of satanic cinema. <laughs> and frankly, who isn't? I want to be really careful about how I say that. In fact, we um, screened The Exorcist uh, many months ago, and I came in to see that, and it was just, it's fun to see films that maybe this is your first viewing or second viewing, but um, Late Nights is a fun series. Oh, yeah. I remember coming in, because anytime somebody's showing Akira on a big screen, I will mm, go. Yeah. Um, and just sitting behind people like a generation below me who'd never seen it, had never really interacted with the movie, and seeing it like that is such a different experience than watching it on, on smaller screens. So it's really cool to come and be a part of like the revival-y things and like the series and like, how you curate it. The two hotter than hell summer of satanic cinema movies left are July 7th, The Day of the Beast, and August 4th, Prince of Darkness. John Carpenter. John Carpenter. <laughs> King of a horror. <laughs> Anything else fun happening that you want to talk about, Yasmin, Wonderful. from the Amherst Cinema? I would just say, you know, come on in. See something that maybe you're expecting and you look forward to. Look through our offerings. Pick something that's new and maybe out of your interest area or comfort zone and just bring a friend.
Now we won't spoil Wes Anderson's Asteroid City for you. We're going to ask you to leave the lobby, your own lobby, so that we can freely talk about the movie. Well, so you can get ready to go and watch that movie. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. Yeah. And cinema, community supported yes, cinema, just like we're community supported radio. So you got to, you know, if you're interested in that sort of thing, maybe you should think about supporting it. Yeah, you can find out more information at amercinema.org. Coming up, our spoiler-free review of the new Wes Anderson movie, Asteroid City, with Hampshire College astronomer Dr. Salman Hamid. And later in the show, another Roundhouse kick. Music and conversation recorded live in the Roundhouse at the Green River Festival this past weekend with Viv and Riley. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. What do those pulses indicate? What? Oh, the beeps and blips? We don't know. Some of our information about outer space may no longer be completely accurate. Anyway, there's still only nine planets in the solar system as far as we know, Billy. Except now there's an alien. Hampshire College astronomer and Amherst Cinema board member, Dr. Salman Hamid, we have just watched the new Wes Anderson movie, Asteroid City, which is now open in theaters everywhere. And that's all. <laughs> it's like Spatula City, just with asteroids. Spatula City, we sell spatulas. And that's all. That's another deep movie cut. Without, we don't want to spoil anything for anybody. It's a Wes Anderson movie, so we can talk about what we know about Wes Anderson movies from previously. You know, Rushmore, Moonrise Kingdom, the uh, animated Fantastic Mr. Fox, The Isle of Dogs. Uh, let's see. Budapest Hotel. Grand Budapest Hotel. The Darjeeling Express. The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. It's also a really interesting look at, like, quarantine. It, it, the way it depicts quarantine in a post slash, like, weakening COVID world is is very interesting. Yeah. And it was shot while there was quarantine. And it, from what I read, it's not shot in the Southwest, but it is shot outside of Madrid. Madrid, yeah. And so that has the connection of the sort of like the old spaghetti Westerns yeah. uh, in, in some sense. Also worth noting, great music, like some spaghetti mm-hmm. westerns. Yep. Yeah. We were talking about that music is really cool, especially the last song. Yeah, yeah. Jarvis Cocker. Of Pulp. And then a great use of Freight Train by Elizabeth Cotton in there. Mm-hmm. Also an original song that will yes. delight you. Yes. Oh. <laughs> and a dancing roadrunner. Yeah. Have we spoiled too much? I don't think so. No. no, no we, well, still nobody knows so what this is. So intricate. There is no way. You can <laughs> you can spoil everything you want and just go in. We've yeah. said literally nothing about the plot. Of the if plot. there is a plot. Oh. <laughs> or a message. And is that the message? Exactly. Um, here we go. Now we're going a little bit too deep. I mean, I feel like there's a message, oh, but we don't. Is. That that would be spoiling. Yeah. It. There are very few actors that are not in this film. Yeah, all of the good actors. Jason Schwartzman, exactly. Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks, Jeffrey Wright, Tilda Swinton, Brian Cranston, Edward Norton, Adrian Brody, Liv Schreiber, Hope Davis, Stephen Park, Rupert Friend, uh, Maya Hawke, Steve Carell, Matt Dillon, Hong Chow, Willem Dafoe, Margot Robbie, Tony Revolori, Jake Ryan, but I will say that. And Hope, Jeff Goldblum. Hope Davis, one of the actresses, uh, actors I was most excited to see on screen when I realized who it was, is not in this poster. Oh, yeah, there's a good poster yeah, of uh, most of the characters. Most of the cast here. And Liv Schreiber, Hampshire alum. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. He looks so, so much like my Uncle Kevin the whole time. I and mean, he's kind of like a character that's very much like my Uncle Kevin, too. I'm like, whoa. Is he mad at me still? Notable absence of Bill Murray. I think from what I was reading that he contracted COVID. 
and he oh. did was supposed to have some scenes in there, and then they ended up without him. I thought he contracted got canceled for treating people poorly on sets, and maybe they decided to move away from him, which was heartbreaking for me to hear about. But yeah, I heard Bill Murray's not as nice a guy as we'd love to believe that he is. No. <laughs> <laughs> I hear he's nice when you run into him in the general public. Yeah, or if he just shows up at your wedding or golf course to drink. Um, but your initial thoughts first, Khalees, about Asteroid City. I loved it so much. I loved it. I have to look at this quote that I read that was excerpted from my friend Brooke Hauser, who was the former editor-in-chief of the Daily Hampshire Gazette and who is now a editor for the Boston Globe. She posted the Boston Globe's review of Asteroid City. A headline of the Boston Globe review says, Wes Anderson's Asteroid City is a crashing bore. And what she excerpted from the article is, the plot became so convoluted that I stopped caring, opting instead to pray for the end of the film or the apocalypse, whichever came first. So I went into this with very low hopes, but... But it was fantastic. Like, I don't really understand how you could get lost, but I also really love Wes Anderson's pacing and storytelling in general. Yeah. So I'm, it might be I, that I'm inoculated to the way that his scripts move, right. but I thought this was great. Yeah, I wondered after now seeing this movie if this reviewer from the Boston Globe has ever seen another Wes Anderson movie because <laughs> it's so Wes Anderson-y. Right. I think this is the most Wes Anderson-y movie of all because <laughs> it does have... I mean, Sans Bill Murray. Right, I mean, right. you have to suspend certain type of movie imagination because yeah. it brings all of his films, really wants you to know it's a film, right? Because the right. way the camera angles are, they are, every shot is centered and everybody is aware of it and they speak sort of like, you know, in a very deliberate manner, in a Wes Andersonian manner, yeah. right? If you don't get into that, I think you never get into it. Yeah. And I did have that experience. So I like Wes Anderson, but I'm not a sort of like, you know, one of those diehard fans. You don't have to look at me when you say that. <laughs> you could also look at me when you say that, but I'm also but, a diehard fan. So I did walk out, I should mention, from Steve Susi, Life Aquatic. I walked out of that movie because couldn't get in, right? However, in, in this movie, it's a movie in which there is a play which is being converted into a movie, and then there is a conversation about another play. Yeah, about in the play that's making up the movie. The movie. And so I think, I think it does, to me, it's like those Swiss watches are sort of like, you know, yeah. those beautifully crafted, which all of his films are, Wes mm -hmm. Anderson. And this one is the most intricate of it all. So I don't think, I don't think it gets sort of like, you know, lost in it, but I think it's beautifully constructed. Yeah. The shift between 4-3 aspect and 16-9 aspect. Which is the way that the, it's projected or you view it on yeah. a big Six, screen. 4-3 uh, is, is what used to be like TV aspect. Yeah. And there's a use of that as tool to move between the different types of story that are being told here that I think is used really, really well in a very Wes Anderson way. And a use of black and white and color. It is a love letter to the theater. Mm -hmm. It's a love letter to script writing. It's a love letter to acting. Yep. And I think it's very, very beautifully done. And to 50s sci-fi films, yeah. weirdly, I mean, it's not like, oh, it's mimicking them. No, but it is trying to get the spirit of that kind of uh, filmmaking and those kind of themes because there are nuclear tests going on, there are aliens, there are government people in it, and so on and so forth. So all of those elements are there. 
apart from being a board member and former president of the Amherst Cinema, Salman Hamid, you are an astronomer. You used to also, though, host a movie-reviewing television show on Amherst Community Television. So you love both movies and astronomy. And this does bring up a couple of really interesting points when it comes to astronomy and the search for aliens. First question I have about astronomy. A lot of Asteroid City takes place in a town that has a giant crater that was created by an asteroid. Now I know the cenotes that surround the Mayan Peninsula in Mexico are places that you can see evidence of a, either a giant asteroid or a comet, likely the one that killed the dinosaurs. Those are remnants of an asteroid impact. Are there other places that you know about on Earth where you can go see a giant crater created by an asteroid like this? Yeah, the great example is the Great Meteor Crater now, in, Ari that? in Arizona. So there's a place that's kind of like this. And it's actually, uh, I mean, here the meteor that was left over is very small. It's like but... a side of a bowling ball. <laughs> so this was not a mass extinction one, but if you were nearby, yeah, you would be extinct. So for you, it would be, for you, it would be an extinction event. But overall, no, those things happen. So uh, indeed, this was created uh, in that certainly in mind because that is also a tourist site and so as asteroid city talks about sort of like the asteroid the crater being there there's also an element without spoiling too much of aliens in this movie and an alien sighting and what it would mean for humanity if there were an alien sighting and individuals who experience an alien sighting there's also the idea that the government is trying to convince them that they didn't see an, an alien which a lot of people believe is actually true in what is happening right now but it was fascinating for me to see that in human emotion, in sort of a, a national way, in a religious way, all of these elements of what it would mean if an alien existed come up in this movie. Yeah, so this is uh, one of those cases, first of all, the alien is very cute. Not a scary alien. This movie's great for kids. <laughs> the kids will be bored out of their minds, but it, there's nothing wrong with it if you want to bring your kids. Or if you have weird kids like me who like Wes Anderson movies. Yeah, so, so, uh, but I think this is not an astronomy film. I hate to disappoint people who are going in for like, you know, You mean there's asteroids. no real ellipsis we can view in the outer space? <laughs> and so... It won't burn into your... Th that's right. Don't look at eclipse with your boy or eyes, though, it's unless you're the president of the United States. That's right. So it doesn't have those kind of realistic elements to it. So it is playing rather than on what would happen if an alien comes in or alien contact, it is rather playing on the movie depictions of aliens, especially in the 1950s. And then alongside with that, those governments sort of like you know, hiding it and so, so on and so forth. So it's an homage to films about aliens and about government conspiracies. Broader than that, it does ask, which I was very surprised at, uh, it does ask the questions about what's the meaning of life? Because they do ask this question in terms of well, what does it mean? And is there anything else or not? And religious questions as well. One of the things that's kind of a throwaway moment, but there's a, a scene where they discuss hypothetical stars. <laughs> and I had questions about that because I suppose that that's still happening where people have hypothetical stars that they then chart out and then try to prove. Is that the nature of how that works? That doesn't uh, really happen. Uh, <laughs> it might have happened. I mean, there was a time where it happened where people would observe something, and they still observe something, and they don't know. Is it a star? Is it a galaxy? You know, that kind of idea. That's right. I mean, those, those type of things happen. And in fact, we recently talked about gamma ray bursts, like, yeah. you know, which people didn't know what those were, and so they tried to come up with ideas. But stars, we generally have a better idea regarding that. <laughs> In the 50s, would there have been a time where they, they didn't have the technology on Earth, or if you were a scientist on Earth, that it's without a, a space telescope, to know what what is that thing over there hypothetically it's a star yeah so i mean you did have t telescopes i mean it's a quite big telescopes uh, since the 18th 19th century in particular i mean so there were big telescopes out there uh, but there were cases where 
it was the opposite, so the discovery of uh, Neptune. Uh, and so there are a lot of mentions of uh, solar system in there and that there are nine planets in the movie. Pluto is clearly marked, so it's, a, it's an accurate film. Uh, but uh, Neptune was certainly one of those planets that was discovered based upon calculations and nobody had seen it. So in that sense, it kind of like plays into that, that, well, it would be there and they actually found it. Salman Hamid. Hampshire College Astronomer and board member of Amherst Cinema, where we are right now in the lobby discussing the Wes Anderson movie that just came out, Asteroid City. If this were like a Siskel and Ebert type situation, what would you uh, give it with thumbs up level? I or you can use like uh, alien appendages, types of planets, <laughs> you know, meteorites. On your three fingers. <laughs> cataloged asteroids. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think you have to be a Wes Anderson fan because this really makes no attempt to bring people into it because it starts from the very beginning. I mean, I think Moonrise Kingdom was one of those films which was sort of like the peak of most accessibility to a certain degree. Oh, Fantastic Mr. Fox is another one. But in this one, I mean, I think unless you are in it, uh, it would be hard to get in. But if you have smidgen of likeness of, of, of sort of like his movies, you would love it because this just takes that and takes it to the extreme. I agree. This movie's great. I'm so glad that that Boston Globe writer is so, so wrong. He's wrong. (laughs) Up next, more music recorded live in the Roundhouse at the Green River Festival in Greenfield this past weekend with a bluegrass duo from North Carolina, Viv and Riley. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, helping customers make the switch to solar for savings, energy security, and tax incentives. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. I love a backup. Backup, backup. Yes. Backup plan to your backup plan to back up your backup plan. Fabulous 413. Welcome to the Roundhouse at the Green River Festival. Let's hear a round of applause for the people that are in the Roundhouse with us. Thanks for coming inside and hanging out. We're at the Franklin County Fairgrounds. For and the Green th- River Festival. This place is used during the Franklin County Fair as a place where they judge all sorts of different agricultural things. Like there's the Maple Producers Association booth there's over there. There's a whole poster about pickles behind that wall there. There's the Franklin County Beekeepers Association booth over there, but we are- Somebody had a massive dahlia behind the stairs. Yeah, it's really cool. And we're repurposing it for pop-up performances here. I'm calling them roundhouse kicks, just to kind of get like (laughs) a martial arts theme going in there. That's pretty good. You didn't get that approved, but it's nice. But if you were listening to the show on Friday, you might've heard about the woman behind all of the signs at the Green River Festival, these glorious hand-drawn signs from Ashfield, Nan Parati. And I gave you a hard time, Nan, on the air because it said the fabulous 413 with Monty Belmonte. You were called on the radio right before this pop-up performance, came over, and then wrote Kalisa's name in there. I just wanted to... Monty, thank you, but I want to point out that now that I just made a second sign that's real. And Khalees is up there with you. But it's only because I know you so well. I used to feed you at Elmer's and your little children. And Khalees, it's nice to meet you. Same. You spelled her name correctly and everything, and that's important. Well, we're really excited to bring into the Roundhouse music that will be on the back porch stage a little bit later this afternoon, if you're here in the Roundhouse with us now, not if you are listening to this on the radio on Monday. Let's hear a song from Viv and Riley. Sky, yellow leaves, 
live in the roundhouse from the Green River Festival. They right. come from so much further away than I usually do. Yeah, Khalees was watching <laughs> yeah. in the middle, taking some video there. I had to run around to get back to that microphone. <laughs> it's a roundhouse, though, so you couldn't find the corner. That's, that's fine. He's running around in circles. It's all good. Uh, Viv and Riley, uh, you, where do you call home base for your music? Nowadays, we live in Durham, North Carolina. Right. That's a ways. Yeah, we're driving all the way back there tomorrow, 12 hours. Oh, my goodness. Whoa. <laughs> 
So we're going to know exactly how far it is. But it was interesting because when you walked into the Roundhouse and there were other musicians that were uh, leaving here, it seems like you know a lot of the people locally musically. Tell us about your relationship with some of the local musicians here and how you know them. Yeah, well, we're, we're plugged into this uh, old-time string band music scene. We, we both fiddle tunes and love doing that. And, and just kind of everywhere you go, just run into someone you know, plays banjo or fiddle or guitar and likes to sit in a dusty field and play tunes uh, for 11 hours a day. So that's a, a fun little network. We're getting plugged into the local scene, surrounding the parlor room and, and signature sounds and all the great people up here who run this festival. How did you two start playing together? When did you two start playing together? We started playing together, I think, at around 2016. That's right. Yes, we were, had just graduated high school and we grew up on opposite oh sides of the country. I grew up in Virginia and Riley grew up in Seattle, Washington. And I happened to be out west at a festival that he was also kind of teaching at. And um, we ended up playing music all night and um, started this duo together. And I also joined his pre-existing band at the time called The Onlys. So we've been playing together since then. And Viv, you kind of grew up in this old-timey string music, right? Your parents were on Rounder Records playing this music your whole childhood, is that, is that right? Yes, yeah, my parents um, played in a lot of great old-time bands, and then they also were in a duo and wrote a lot of songs, so I was kind of in the traditional old-time music world and then also in the slightly expanded songwriter world too, I guess. <laughs> One of the things I've been impressed with with your songwriting is that it's very old-timey sounding, but there are these little perks of like play with rhythm and play with harmonies. How do you keep something that is so traditional sounding fresh in the way that you write? I don't know. I think that is just growing up with that. It is just part of me. <laughs> and so old time music is very collaborative. It's very community based and listening to others and playing with and singing with others. And so I've always found harmony to be like one of the most interesting musical things. So even though I don't try necessarily to write in like in the tradition, those kinds of melodies kind of need harmony are just something that I naturally do. I try and write stuff that's current to me. I guess it inevitably reflects where I came from. <laughs> Viv's, uh, I was a fan of Viv's parents' music before I met her, which is, you know, slightly weird dynamic when you meet someone um, to be a fan <laughs> of their parents. But um, her parents, you know, like the music they made, they, they were rooted in this string band tradition uh, that we both are rooted in as well. But they, you know, at that time in the world, they were also writing original music and the, the traditional music scene wasn't as comfortable with that. So they were pushing boundaries and, you know, you know adding, a, adding drums and interesting textures and stuff at a time when it wasn't maybe as accepted. So we're lucky that they kind of paved the way, and, and so many other people paved the way to, to blend tradition and, uh, and you know, creativity and, 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 and finding, the, finding where that takes you. A lot of people now, like, I think hear our songs and they're like, oh, that's very traditional. But if we were to be playing these things like not that long ago, I think a lot of people would be like, wow, that is way <laughs> too outside of what is tradition. So. Keep it in the lane. <laughs> I always like talking to people that play what some people perceive as traditional music, old timey music, string band music. And what do you listen to sometimes that might surprise people? Like new music, popular music that, that speaks to you. Not that you're necessarily playing, but that you're just big fans of. Riley, Viv? 
Viv Riley. Um, <laughs> yeah, you have to say it's a, it has to be Vivian Riley. Yeah, okay, good. By contract. Um, yeah. I'm just stalling. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we'll put on like uh, we'll put on hip hop to get like psyched for a gig sometimes. I don't know if that would surprise people. I mean, we live we 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 we, we listen to everything. Um, I don't know. What's the what do we listen to, Viv? Like you're in the car driving back to North Carolina and like going to listen to Wu-Tang Clan the whole way down there or something like that? It's always Wu-Tang, isn't it? It's always Wu-Tang. what I would be doing. (laughs) Probably not, but that's actually a good idea. Uh, I'm down. You can borrow my CD. Yes. (laughs) Well, shall we hear another song from Viv and Riley here in the Roundhouse live at the Green River Festival? This one's called Love and Chains. Sun is setting down across the road again. Mournful parting friend, moving on. Night falls quickly, silently insisting that what's gone is done and done is gone all wrong. Gone all wrong. Don't talk about love and chains. Let's not talk about. Why don't we just sit and watch the sunlight fade? We pretend that the world will keep on turning and that we'll have time to spend. Why do we pretend? A cracked white seal. On your lips, steal a kiss. Soon tomorrow, we'll be having coffee just to keep ourselves from fading like the heat. Fades to fall, don't talk about love and chains, and let's not talk about the plans we made. Why don't we just sit and watch the
city Down across the road again Mournful parting friend Moving on Thank you. As per usual, I have an extra question yes. before we end. Please. Um, so, just about guitars. Now, you're playing way up the neck, but you don't have a cutout. Yeah. <laughs> do you prefer guitars? Do you both prefer guitars without cutouts? We do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, it makes it so much harder to reach those higher frets. <laughs> we like old guitars because they just, you know, they sound a certain way. And they do. And they didn't think of cutouts back then. Fair enough. Just, I think it's also good to have limitations. So, <laughs> 14th fret, that's my limitation. I just don't go past there. <laughs> Viv and Riley live here in the Roundhouse at the Franklin County Fairgrounds at the Green River Festival in Greenfield. Thank you both so much for joining us here today. Hey, thanks so much for having us. For our 4th of July special, you can hear the other two performances we held at the Roundhouse with Miko Marks and Larry and Joe. Tomorrow. Giant harp. Yeah, oh my goodness. Larry and Joe with that giant harp. Tomorrow on the Fabulous 413, Springfield's annual Puerto Rican parade is one of the oldest in the Bay State, and it's having kickoff celebrations this week. We'll have a visit with Sasha Vianz and Shirley Rodriguez from the parade, as well as NEPM's Elizabeth Roman, to explore the importance and longevity of these celebrations. And we'll roast Dean Sycon of Dean's Beans Coffee Roasters about their move from company to cooperative and what's next for their vision for a more percolated future. Musical thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, Medeski Martin and Wood, The Wood Brothers, Vivin Riley, Chaz McDevitt Skiffle Group, and Jarvis Cocker. Our Director is Tony Mall Chinese to the rescue done. Our engineer is Betsy Scovalicious Aspect Ratio Lankto. <laughs> Our technical team is Bart. Thank you so much for all your hard work over the weekend at Green River. Rankin, Kara not appearing in this episode. Foster and Punk Rude Boy Dubay. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Khalees Smith. See you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413.